a Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. This is a podcast about international politics, international relations. So we take a situation, something that's going on in the world, we break it down, we make it really easy for you to understand. Not me so much. I am so far from being an expert on this stuff. Fortunately for this man, Dr. Keith Suter, he is the uh, the expert we're after, really good at simplifying it and make it easy for us to understand. Three PhDs on international politics and related matters, and he's also been a commentator for decades in Australian media. So um, this is the man you need to hear this stuff from. And you're actually interesting, by the way, Keith. You don't drone on. You kind of make it succinct. <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> Um, populism. We saw it with Trump. We saw it with Pauline Hanson. We yep. see it with these people that say what people want to hear and they have vigour in what they're saying. They've got a bit of personality, a bit of flair, a bit of difference to other people. It is scary and there's a big warning about it. Absolutely. So the book I've been reading is by Thomas Frank and it's called People Without Power, The War on Populism and the Fight for Democracy. And, I, and this really helped me to change my views about populism. Generally speaking, commentators tend to look down on the populists. They're uneducated, they're xenophobic. In other words, they don't like foreigners or whatever. Thomas Frank is very interesting. So Thomas Frank is a journalist who works uh, for the Wall Street Journal. He came to prominence four years ago with a book called Listen Liberal. And in that book, Frank, uh, without mentioning Trump, except I think in just in passing, was able to explain what happened in 2016. So let me give you some sort of background to all that's going on here. So in the United States, for the last few decades, beginning under President Reagan and continuing under the Democrat Bill Clinton, the United States has moved to what we in Australia call new right economic rationalism. In other words, that we focus on economic growth, we focus on the individual. You don't worry about the community, you've got, just got to be a very happy consumer. And what has happened in that process is that the traditional blue-collar Democrat voting working class have felt betrayed. The jobs have gone to Mexico or they've gone to China. Bill Clinton, in encouraging China to join the World Trade Organization and smoothing China's entry into that organization just a quarter of a century ago, what, what he did was to ensure that, well, his argument was, well, we bring China into the World Trade Organization, uh, it'll help the Chinese economy to grow, which it certainly did, and then China will go through its own political revolution and become a democracy. Well, China has certainly grown, but it hasn't become a democracy. And so Clinton made a basic mistake. Meanwhile, of course, the jobs left the United States. So the people who run the United States, the big corporations, they have no loyalty to the American workers. They're simply there to make money. And if you can make money by exporting jobs and getting the work done by cheaper Chinese workers than ones in, say, Milwaukee or Wisconsin, then that's what will happen. And so this writer, Thomas Frank, identified four years ago that the Democrats were getting into trouble. They were losing their traditional blue-collar support. And then, lo and behold, Donald Trump comes along, sweeps along, this is a guy who votes Democrat and he's from New York, sweeps along out of nowhere. Okay, he's always been a media staff, so he's well known. He's on the media radar screen, but he's never been a Republican, never voted Republican. And this is a fellow who just sweeps along 
and somehow has a message for those traditional blue-collar workers who are just uh, feel betrayed by people like Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. And so Trump was able to capture those people. Now, in 2016, of course, what the Democrat Party should have done is to have said, golly, we've gone and lost our supporters. We've now got to do some soul-searching to work out what we go to from here. Instead, Mrs. Clinton was talking about a Russian conspiracy to get rid of her. The Democrats never did that soul-searching. They never thought about how they should refashion their message to appeal to their traditional Democrat base. And this is reflected in this year's presidential election. Donald Trump won more votes than any other Republican presidential contender, more votes than Barack Obama ever achieved, more votes than he received four years earlier. This is a fantastic achievement by Trump. And he did that by still speaking to those angry Democrat traditional voters who are looking for someone to support. But just to say, could you give that, you know, um, to add to that, that uh, the more people voted this year than ever? That's right. Trump made politics interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So Biden was able to get more votes, a record number of votes, a record number of people actually participating in the election. So what is interesting, Robert Kennedy, so this is uh, John Kennedy's younger brother, campaigning for the presidency in 1968. So this is just before he was assassinated. Fellowship, community, shared patriotism, these essential values of our civilization do not just come from buying and consuming goods together. They, they come instead, he went on, from the kind of work that allows a person to say, I helped to build this country. I am a participant in its great public ventures. That's the sort of language that you don't get anymore. The revolution with Ronald Reagan begins in 1980. We saw it in, in the United Kingdom with Mrs. Thatcher. This is new right economic rationalism. Forget all this talk about community, shared patriotism, etc. You just go out and make money. That's what life should be about. Make as much money as possible. And so that has been the mindset which swept over America and included the Democrat Party so that when Bill Clinton came to office in 1992, Clinton was very much talking in that language. He was surrounded by people who were saying, look, forget factories. They're a thing of the past. We can get the factories to do the work overseas. Let somebody else worry about the um, low-skilled workers, the pollution, etc. We will concentrate on the service sector. We want everybody to be wearing white collars rather than blue collars. So we want lawyers, we want bankers, venture capitalists, etc. That's where we will make our money. And so it was at that point the Democrat Party started to lose its traditional support. And Thomas Frank in 2016 wrote a book before the Trump election warning the Democrats, listen, liberal, you're going to run into trouble because you are forgetting your traditional Democrat base. Remember Michael Moore, who influenced me in helping me to predict Trump's victory four years ago? Michael Moore is a Trump demographic. So he's a filmmaker. From Michigan. Sorry? He's from Michigan. From Michigan. He's from Michigan. He's non-college educated. He's a white, middle-aged person. He is the Trump demographic. He's never voted for Trump, but that's the class from whom Trump draws his support in in the main And Michael Moore was warning about a Trump victory four years ago. And then meanwhile, you get Thomas Frank with this book, with the book that he then wrote called Listen, Liberal, with the same sort of warning. Thomas Frank has now followed up with another book about populism. What he's wanting to do is to dig deeper 
into this idea of people who are angry with the established political class in uh, in Washington. And he has gone back to look at the beginning of populism. So populism for him begins in the 1880s in Kansas. So we're now in the middle of the country, what's now deep red country. The people of Kansas were farmers who were angry at the monopoly power of the railways and the, the banks. And so their campaign was calling for the breakup of the railways and the banks to make it easier for the small business people and farmers to earn a living. That was the origin of the populist movement, and it led to major reforms in American politics, the, the reforms that we associate with Teddy Roosevelt, who was a Republican, by the way. So what Thomas Frank is saying is that, look, you know, I've, I've lived through now four years of, of Donald Trump, and we have gotten back to this period of angry people who want to have someone to support. They do not have confidence in the bankers in the eastern seaboard. Now, railroads aren't the major problem, but you've got Google, you've got uh, Facebook. These are the major corporations. These are the ones that need to be broken up. So this book, People Without Power, The War on Populism and the Fight for Democracy is very good because what the book is saying is you've just got to pay attention to these people. 70 million people voted for Donald Trump despite the COVID crisis, despite the man's lack of action on COVID. Nonetheless, he still has this huge following. Where do they go now? Where do those angry voters go? You're listening to Global Truths with Dr Keith Sood. We're talking about populism today because, well, quite frankly, we've just seen four, four years of Donald Trump, someone who just said what people wanted to hear and appealed to a very, very strong base of supporters. He spoke their language. He was able to communicate with them better than anyone. But, I mean, not it's not necessarily true, anything he said, which we know because there were so many falsehoods spoken throughout his presidency. You, know, you see people who are classified as populists like Pauline Hanson yeah. over here as well and the One Nation Party in general. It works as a strategy. It works really well, Dr Keith. So, it does. It does but, in, they, they, they're able to identify the anger that people mm. feel and the people feel as though they really are not part of that political system. And so we, what we we're just talking about, uh, the, this angry base that exists in America, and there's obviously it here, just not to the same degree yeah. because we just don't, one nation get, never gets fully supported on a great scale like you've seen with Donald Trump over in America. I mean, the point of Donald Trump, he's pretty, completely changed the face of the Republican Party. They used to be just conservative, but old school conservative. Think about it, like the jumpers over the shoulders in the southern states, they had slaves. Yeah. Now, look at them. Like yeah. They're so far right wing, they just... Almost. Well, the problem is that, in effect, Donald Trump has recreated the Republican Party. Mm. So remember, this is a guy who's never voted Republican, but he took over the party over four years ago and has remade it in his image. And it's a real challenge now for where did the Republican Party go now? Where, what do they do? Whom do they support? Donald Trump is obviously getting ready to run again in four years' time. He's going to spend four years complaining about having the election stolen by uh, fake ballots, etc., And so Thomas Frank has written this book really as a warning to say, look, the, the basic triggering issues are still there. We've still got, it's worth bearing in mind that 1% of Americans own as much wealth as the bottom 90%. That's a huge disparity in wealth. 
the Reserve Bank in the United States did a survey of the ability of people to find something like $5,000 if they needed $5,000. It was a huge percentage of people who cannot put their hands on that cash, which means that they are simply living paycheck to paycheck or pension check to pension check. And Trump was able to talk to people in that language. He clearly, as a, a, as a billionaire, I'm not sure that he ever was, but he was certainly <laughs> a millionaire, he was able to communicate with those people. And that challenge still remains. That's, that's why the, the angry people of Kansas started this move to break up the railway companies, uh, the uh, big banks. It's called the Sherman Antitrust Legislation from about 120 years ago. And now there is a demand that there be similar work done to help the underprivileged in the United States. I just don't think Biden can be relied upon to deliver those results. Biden is someone who's very close to the financial sector. A lot of uh, the corporations are actually registered in his state of Delaware. He's someone who has increased the level of student debt for ordinary young Americans, all sorts of issues. I don't think Biden is going to be a major reformer. He's not another Teddy Roosevelt. The tragedy of Trump is that he had identified the right issues but then got captured by the Washington swamp. Remember, he was going to go to Washington, drain the swamp, and instead he ended up becoming another crocodile in that swamp. And the people that he had around him, like Michael Mnookin, the Treasury Secretary, were people who helped create the global financial crisis a decade earlier. And so Trump let people down. But there's still the anger there. And what worries me is that if you get a more efficient authoritarian coming along in four years' time, that person will be able to attract the vote. 70 million angry people. And don't forget that Obama and Clinton and Bush helped create Donald Trump. What damage will Biden do? Because in a sense, Trump has given us Biden, and then who does Biden give us? That'll be the challenge for the four years into the future because Americans tend to react against whoever is in the White House. So then who do, and then how does Biden tap into this anger and how does he reflect that he's listening and, and that he's and, changing things? And the argument is that he can't. He, even though he comes from a working-class area, Pennsylvania, those days are well behind him. He's lost touch with those working-class roots. And so he, he's got to have real difficulty. Remember... Four years ago, when we had Trump and Clinton, Mrs. Clinton was urged to go and speak to these blue-collared traditional Democrat voters. And she said, no, I'm, you know, they've always voted for us. I can take them for granted. Hmm. And then if you go back eight years earlier, the young Senator Barack Obama, when he was campaigning, complained about these small-time Americans with their love of the Bible and guns and really putting them down. Mrs. Clinton comes along eight years later and just refers to them as deplorables. These are people who resent the smooth-talking, elegant, patronising tone of the elitist media that you see on the East Coast and the West Coast, and they have reacted against that. And because they've, they've got a, a, a vote, they can be very disruptive for American politics. It's really interesting as well because you apply that to any part of society in general. And in the media, the rule of, of thumb with media is that your best talking heads are often the more grounded, down-to-earth media people. So any media organisation, any broadcast, radio, you know, podcasting as well, television, always go for people who are relatable. Like Those mm -hmm. are the best possible 
spokespeople on a lots of issues. Well, you get to come in and break something down. Yeah. Um, international policy is somewhat different, but you are <laughs> relatable because you simplify everything. But that's what that's the rule of thumb. You get the most relatable person, the person that going to sit here and go, oh, they're just like me. That's, <laughs> exactly. That's what you that's get. Exactly and that's extended it. to politics. It's just that suddenly some people are realising it now and then capitalising on it. And the question is different. They sound, they, do they sound like me? But also, do they like me? And that's the problem. Do they Mrs. understand me? And Mrs Clinton clearly just regarded them as deplorables. Mm. People we can take for granted. You've always voted Democrat. You're not going to go and vote Republican. You would never do that, would you? And that's exactly what they went ahead and did. That is the challenge. And so this book by Thomas Frank, People Without Power, a brilliant study really on warning us that we've got to address these deeper issues. Otherwise, this anger will continue to bubble along. We just can't dismiss these people as saying, oh, they're populists, therefore we can ignore them. The the progressive community, the left, have largely abandoned the politics of community, patriotism, the dignity of work. And these are the issues that we need to get back. If you're a person who's poor, perhaps unemployed, patriotism is one of the few things that you have left. Therefore, it doesn't pay to have that patriotism demeaned or besmirched. And yet that's the risk that progressives run. And we're seeing that with the culture war, particularly running at the moment in the United States. They've got to, the Democrats have got to find a way of reconnecting with their Democrat supporters. They've got to reconnect with the populists who were so radical and important of the 1890s and it'll continue through into the future. Otherwise, they'll be looking for another Donald Trump an authoritarian who is much better organised than trying to run a country. <laughs> Dr Keith, as always, fascinating. Thank you. Thank you. This has been Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app.